Hail and well met. I'm guessing you're wanting shelter from the storm, right? Well, it is a cold night out there. Why don't you pull up a chair by the fire? I have just the thing to pass the time. A story. I call it Meyer's Helping Hand. This is part two. Welcome to the Lavender Tavern, my friend. According to Meyer's tracking spell, there were now nine stepwises, eight of them outside of his control. Now it was time to panic. Meyer tried to slow his breathing and thought of his lesson on runaway magic. How could he not think of it? It was the highlight of every ministry student's first year of study. The magister who taught the course showed them how a magic spell that simply doubled objects would lead to disaster. He started with a copper coin and kept doubling it with a simple incantation. The single coin became two coins, then four, eight, sixteen, thirty-two, and by the tenth doubling, the magister showered the podium in copper and told the students that there were now over a thousand coins, before he made all but one of them disappear with a flourish. Any magic that was not properly cast could lead to runaway magic. He had scraped the chalk across the large slate at the front of the class, then tapped each syllable, emphasizing the word. Catastrophe. Meyer reread the spell he'd written to conjure the first demon. There were no flaws that he could see. No, Stepwise had been copied by human means, at least at first. He bit his lip. Stepwise? Double yourself? He said with some dread. Stepwise stretched and split down the middle. Now there were two Stepwises in front of him. Eleven red spots on the line symbol. Catastrophe. He could duplicate enough stepwises to catch the other stepwises now, but since at least one other person knew how to duplicate the rogue demons, there was no stopping them. And each demon used a tiny bit of mana, unnoticeable at first, but once it became a case of runaway magic, the mana would start adding up. Meyer was a clever young man. He often had many clever ideas and brought these clever ideas to Alistair or the lower magisters. This time, he felt that the cleverest thing he could do was to say nothing. It would have been simple to deconstruct the stepwises. All Meyer needed to do to make them disappear was to reverse the spell inscribed on the sheet of parchment he now kept locked in the bottom drawer of his chest of drawers. He could even tear the parchment into pieces if he did not mind the thought of every stepwise suddenly deconstructing violently. But the moment Meyer broke the spell, all of the accumulated mana that animated the demons would instantly flow back into the mana reservoir at the end of the street, and from there into the neighborhood's ley line. The ministry would not fail to notice an increase in the supply of mana, especially when a young, clever minister resided only a short walk away. The next morning, Meyer noted with a dull resignation that there were 14 red dots on the symbol. On his walk to the ministry, he spotted at least two stepwises flitting about the buildings above him. One had a hammer in its mouth and the other carried an apple. If Alistair suspected anything, he remained mute. Suana claimed to be busy with solstice preparations. Even Getty was busy with what he called temple business. Raven, Meyer noticed, had started to make elementary mistakes in the workroom. Using agate instead of tourmaline. Trying to undo a spell by drawing a sigil in a clockwise rather than counterclockwise direction. 
even cracking her jade wand on the edge of her table as she attempted a particularly difficult incantation. She seemed newly preoccupied. Or, Meyer thought, a bit ashamed, she had been preoccupied for a while, and he had only now started to notice. Raven usually stole away every midday on their break, leaving Alistair and Meyer to eat hand meals and commiserate. On one break, Meyer followed Raven at a distance and saw her enter the narrow, winding staircases that flanked the tower. When he stepped into the staircase, he saw her some flights above, huffing and puffing her way up. Then she suddenly reversed direction and came towards him. She must have seen him, and Meyer was trying to determine an appropriate excuse when Raven came upon him and expressed surprise. "'What are you doing?' she demanded. "'The same as you?' Meyer said tentatively. "'I take exercise in these stairs every midday,' Raven said. "'You are free to join me.' Then she turned from him and started back up the stairs. Meyer was not much for exercise aside from the flight of stairs he had to climb to his lodging every night, so he struggled to keep pace with Raven. They climbed stairs in silence, broken only by his wheezing. When they neared the top of the ministry building, Meyer asked her, "'Are you all right?' "'I'm fine,' Raven said, turning again down the stairs. "'Completely fine,' she said this in the tone of one who is not at all fine. A minute later, Meyer tried to bring the conversation back to life by saying, I'm looking forward to the winter solstice. Are you? Raven did not reply directly. Instead, she asked, Will you spend it with your parents? Meyer had never discussed his parents with her, but he still wore the family emblem around his neck. Despite his distance from them, he was proud of the family history of spell work and service. We no longer speak, Meyer breathed. The stairs were now causing his legs and lungs some distress. I left them... A long time ago. I never knew my parents, she said, picking up her pace and marching ahead of him. I am sure you had your reasons, but I would gladly spend solstice with mine every year. Meyer knew little of Raven, although they had worked side by side for two years. She was from a village in the east. She ate spicy food that smelled of cumin. And she sketched funny, distorted faces of himself and Alistair when she thought they weren't looking. Had he known she missed her parents... He never would have spoken in so cavalier a fashion. But of course she missed them, he thought, as they came to a final stop at the bottom of the stairs. And as he heaved and gasped for breath, Meyer compared her to Getty, the foundling. Getty was happy to be apart from his parents. The temple elders were his parents now. But Raven? He had seen her looking unhappily at the higher-up magisters during ministry celebrations. She had no surrogate parents among them. He had never heard her speak of friends or other family. If anyone lived in shadows, it was her. Everyone, it seemed, was in search of something they did not or could not possess. The following morning, Meyer could not find his ebony staff again, and as he was running late, he asked one of his stepwises to locate it. He felt no guilt. The minuscule amount of mana this would use would go unnoticed among the total amount used by all stepwises. And the demon was so helpful. A stepwise fetched him some fresh water from a nearby pond to aid in the ministry work he brought home. A stepwise quenched the light after Meyer had gone to bed. A stepwise even lit his way to the chamber pot in the middle of the night. What else could a stepwise do? Meyer spent a tipsy evening testing his demons with queries. A stepwise could predict the weather with some degree of success. About the same success as any lay prognosticator. 
A stepwise could determine the best path to take to reach the archives and warn if a horse-drawn barrow had upended and blocked the way. What else? The next night, Swana came up with some solstice pie of her own, claiming that Meyer must be hungry. How had she known his pantry was bare? Could a stepwise have told her? Meyer cringed and asked, Stepwise, how much food is there in Suana's pantry? And Stepwise told him. Meyer had always slept well, but now he stayed awake most nights. Not from the worry that consumed him. He had resigned himself to that. But to the fighting and shouts that started as a murmur and rose to a din each night as the days until the winter solstice ticked down. I know you were with that woman, a man yelled to his partner from across the way. You didn't go to work today. You went to the tavern, a woman scolded her partner. You have been taking a potion, so you need not conceive, a husband sobbed to his wife. Every question had an answer, and every stepwise could find out any reasonably accessible information, even if it would normally remain a secret. The red dots multiplied along the line on the tracking parchment. The saga of Stepwise took some unusual turns. On a day when he felt little like cooking, Meyer went by Ogden, the street vendor's stall, to pick up some rabbit on a stick. But the old man was under a cloud. Literally. Several Stepwises floated in the air above his stall, each holding a banner reading, Terrible food, bad service, don't eat here, and so on. They were just high enough to be out of reach, but low enough that anyone in the street could see them. Ogden batted at the sky in futility. Do you see them? He demanded. I have tried to move my stall, but no matter where in Frostford I go, they follow me with their infernal banners. Meyer did not know what to say, being the source of Ogden's problems in some way. Do you know why they're here? He asked finally. Ogden shrugged. Well, perhaps the rabbit was not as fresh as it could have been. One night. One night. But does such a lapse merit this kind of retribution? Meyer promised he would dispatch a stepwise with a positive message once he reached his lodgings and took the rabbit on a stick with him. In times past, had he bought takeaway food from a street vendor, Meyer would have had little recourse if it had been spoiled or lacked flavor. But now anyone could challenge the vendors. And at least one person had had the idea to do so. In his lodgings, Meyer took one of his stepwises out of the cage and wrote a message on a long strip of cloth. Reliable, tasty food. It occurred to him that the negative banners he'd seen did not have to be truthful. They could be from someone who bore a grudge against Ogden, or even a competing street vendor who wished to destroy the man's business. He tied the banner to the stepwise's left foot and commanded it to fly to Ogden's stall. There was no way, Meyer thought, that anyone who saw those banners could know if they were true at all. Anyone could say anything. Meyer himself could start a campaign of whispers against someone without anyone being able to trace it back to him. By the time he had released this last stepwise, the tracker parchment was a solid red line. The tracker had given Meyer another idea. He took a smaller strip of cloth and imbued it with a distance spell, then wrapped it around his left wrist like a bracelet. Now he could summon and command his stepwise when he was away from his lodgings, even when he was in the workroom. All he needed to do was speak his command into the wristband, and a stepwise would obey. Raven had been even more withdrawn than usual as the solstice finally approached. Meyer went to the staircase at lunch to look for her, but it was empty and silent. He commanded his stepwise to search for her, and 
When the demon flew to him, Meyer followed it to one of the side doorways of the ministry, where he saw Raven from a distance, eating lunch alone. Meyer could imagine some of the pain she felt. He knew what it was like to miss someone with all of your heart. He contemplated his stepwise, now safe and hidden within his robes. A demon could not search for something connected that distantly to the present, though. Could it? Stepwise, Meyer whispered to the demon. Can you find Raven's parents? The demon did not reply. Was this a problem too difficult for his creation? Then he pulled back his robe and observed the glyph inscribed on the back of the stepwise's head. The symbol was rotating, as if the demon were thinking. Demons could not think, of course, but something was happening. Meyer imagined the skies of Frostford darkened with stepwises flitting to and fro on their errands, seeking information, delivering packages, pilfering valuables, and spying on neighbors, friends, lovers. Not only Frostford. From his figures, Meyer knew there were more stepwises than humans in the city. The demons must be spreading to neighboring towns. His suspicions were confirmed when, the day before the winter solstice, a stepwise flew in through his window and dropped a note onto his table. Meyer knew it was not one of his stepwises. He dabbed a bit of red paint on their backs so he could tell them apart from the others. The note was from his parents, wishing him a happy winter solstice. They had not written it themselves. It was a ready-made greeting that could be bought at any stall in any small town. He was angry at the impersonal nature of it, but touched at the same time. They were a hundred leagues away, and yet they could wish him a merry solstice as if they lived next door. He dropped off a fat suckling pig at Suana's lodgings that afternoon. She had the same seamed face and button eyes, but she was lighter, happier. I've been riding back and forth with old friends, Suana told him. We had lost touch so many years ago. Her stepwise sat proudly on the table by the hearth. Clearly, she saw no need to conceal it. Everyone, it seemed, was having their wishes granted in some way. Except for Raven. And his own half-whispered wish that night so many weeks ago. He was ashamed to think of what he had wished for. And ashamed that he still wanted it to come true. In his ministerial training, Meyer had often heard the metaphor of the mage who was impotent to grant his own wishes. Perhaps in the shadows of his mind, he did not truly want Stepwise to fulfill his heart's desire. Candles hung from the trees that lined Frostford, and a gentle snow fell on the day of the solstice. Peace and calm, Meyer thought, although the fighting and the wishing and the spying continued. He locked his red-dabbed stepwises in the tiny cage, hung it far from Bedlam's reach, and went for a walk by the light of the candles. If he closed his eyes, he could imagine the previous year's solstice. Laughter and company and... It was then that a hand clamped down on each of Meyer's shoulders. He knew the insignia on the black gloves at once. There was no point in struggling. The ministry was quiet on this solstice day. He had never been this high up in the building. The room was vast, cavernous. The woman who spoke to him was mild and ordinary. This frightened him more than anything else. He did not remember the words. He did not have to. Meyer was to stop all of the demons immediately. There were to be no more requests or wishes or messages. He was the only one who could reverse the spell. Of course, 
They knew he had created them. The contours of the spell he had used marked him as clearly as if he had stamped each stepwise with his own sigil. If he did not stop the demons that evening, he would be dismissed from the ministry, blacklisted, banned from the city, and the ministry would use every stepwise it could muster to hound Meyer for the rest of his days. You are a clever young man, the woman concluded. Surely you can see that there is no other way. The gloved hands marched him downstairs. Stepwise had fulfilled many requests. And now there was only Raven's wish, and the wish he had made, but there was barely any time left for them to be fulfilled. He saw once more Raven's downcast face in his mind's eye, and Meyer started to walk more and more slowly, dragging his feet through the slush of the Frostford Street and sending mental wishes for the Stepwises to grant Raven's wish. Why was he so intent on helping her? Perhaps, he thought, it was so he could prove that he could undo what had happened, reunite people who had once loved each other. Love, though, was a task beyond Stepwise. Enough dawdling! one of the guards said and pushed him along roughly. Make haste! When they arrived at his lodgings, the men in the black hoods and black gloves stood impassively while Bedlam hissed and spat at them. Meyer reluctantly unlocked the drawer and drew out the original spell sheet. Then he began tracing the lines backwards with his stylus, unmarking the parchment as ink flowed out of the paper. He saw the two stepwises in the cage suddenly wink out of existence. It was over. The day after winter solstice was known as the Day of Commerce, but this year it became known as the Day of Complaint. Those who had become accustomed to using the demons for their everyday tasks did not like having those demons taken away from them, particularly on a solstice. Meyer went to the ministry the following day as usual, but the door to the workroom was shut. He inserted his ebony staff into the lock, but the door would not open. He started to wiggle the staff back and forth in the lock, but from behind him, Alistair said, You need not bother. The disgraced former magister was wearing street robes, and he held out a square of parchment with Meyer's sigil on it. When Meyer took it, it unfolded into a letter that explained that his employment was severed and listed the items he was to return to the ministry. He did not tell me they would get rid of me, Meyer complained. Alistair smiled. You knew too much. Can you at least let me in so I can retrieve my summer robes? Meyer asked. The other man held up his own letter. It would seem that I knew too much as well. But Alistair was too easygoing to stay despondent. No doubt they have been planning this for me since my demotion. He tore up the letter. Let us go fetch a drink. Where is Raven? Meyer asked. Alistair shrugged. I wonder if she arrived early and received her own letter at that time. Stripped of his ministry possessions, Meyer accompanied Alistair through the ministry, where people deliberately avoided looking at them as they passed, then no doubt watched them with fascination from behind their backs. Meyer felt guilt over Raven. She should not have been caught up in this. She was completely innocent. Then he saw her in the ministry rotunda. Her hair was well-trimmed, and she wore gray robes, the mark of an archivist. Their eyes met, and Raven pointed to an alcove at one side. Meyer left Alistair and went to meet her. I have been promoted, Raven said. 
You know what happened then? Raven smiled. Everyone knows what has happened. They have all kept silent about it. So, Raven had pulled success from his ashes. Meyer was happy for her. I wish you well, he said. She seemed much happier than before. I have you to thank, Raven explained. Then, seeing his confusion, not for the promotion, that was a result of my own efforts. Meyer shook his head. You always criticized the ministry. You insisted on doing your work in your own way. Meyer, Raven said patiently, you need to know when to say something and when to do something. I saw Alistair demoted for embezzlement, and both of you banished to the basement for going against the ministry. I kept to myself and performed my duties. Then they discovered that I was one of the few people at our level who had not used a demon. And they appreciated that. Thus, the promotion. Then Raven could not have used a demon to find her family, Meyer thought. I did ask Stepwise to locate your parents, he said. I am sorry that it was not possible. Raven shook her head. Your demon did find them. Or some other demon did. A stepwise brought me a map of a village far from here where they live. It happened yesterday around midday. On a day of sorrow, there was a bit more happiness for Meyer. Are you going to visit them? He asked. She smiled and tossed her red hair. I am not yet sure. Perhaps, or perhaps not. I appreciate having that choice. Raven told him she had to return to work and gave him one look over her shoulder before she left. The Ministry has always wished to control information, but you have shown me that there is another benefit to having access to it. Not the knowledge itself, but the possibilities it brings. Meyer watched her go, then accompanied Alistair to the tavern. They sat in a hot, noisy tavern and drank grog and cider and mead. This won't last, Alistair said at one point. The inhabitants of Frostford of every nearby town will not rest until they have their demons back. He gulped down more ale. Once a stepwise is out of its cage, you cannot put it back in. Meyer was about to protest that he had kept two stepwises in a cage for some time, but he was feeling very muzzy. He had more pressing concerns. What will I do? He moaned. They've put a black mark on my record. Alistair slapped him on the back. A black mark from the ministry can be seen as a mark of honor to the right people, he said, then in a more confidential tone. There is some talk that the Merchant's Guild wishes to use demons to expedite their commerce. Would you be a part of that talk? Meyer asked. Alistair placed a finger to his lips. I believe there will be opportunities for clever folk, young and old to bring your demons back to the world, in a safe and secure manner, of course. Of course. You could be instrumental in creating the appropriate safeguards, of course. Of course, Meyer said. And that was that. From ministry to commerce in one day, he would be the first man in his family to have a second profession. Meyer stumbled home, the icy chill of the winter wind driving off some of the effects of the ale. Bedlam fussed and complained about the earlier intruders, and, as Meyer soothed him, there came a knock at the door. It was Getty. 
long hair and bushy beard encrusted with snow and ice. He held up two street tankards of ale. Care for a sip? On such a day, Meyer would not refuse more alcohol. He gave Getty a towel to wipe his hair and beard and untied the strings from around the mouths of the street tankards. Then they sat and drank until he was even more drunk. It was I, Meyer stumbled. It was me, me, I, I did it. Getty had no idea of what he spoke, so Meyer explained. Did not take all that long. You turned the world of Frostford upside down in a week, Meyer, Getty said admiringly. Knocked the ministry down a peg, too. I'm impressed. Meyer smiled. That had been a side effect of his work, of course, but he was not about to deny it. Getty frowned. There is one thing, though. You mentioned that you'd made a wish that had gone unfulfilled. What was it? Meyer looked around the empty lodgings and shrugged. It's not important. Not everyone gets their wish. You've heard the story of the cobbler who goes without shoes. We call it the story of the choir that has no sheet music, <laughs> Getty said, then beamed. I did not tell you. We had our own demon at the temple. I asked it to find me the ideal man. And did it? He nodded his bushy beard. He's with a church on the other side of the city. We shall have some interesting discussions about the nature of the gods and religion, but I expect it will all work out in the end. I expect so. Getty got to his feet unsteadily after they had finished the street tankards. I like you a great deal, he said, breathing fumes of ale at Meyer. I always knew that, Meyer said, and smiled. Then he was alone in his quarters. Bedlam was fast asleep, wheezing and purring and dreaming, no doubt, of demon mice. Meyer sat at the table in the darkness. The demons had given Alistair a new task and a new purpose, had led Getty to another man of religion, had taken Suana from her solitude and brought her close again with distant friends, had given Raven the chance to meet her parents should she want to take it. The demons had also started fights, helped lovers spy on each other, and no doubt helped humans to indulge in countless vices. Alistair had spoken of appropriate safeguards, but Meyer was unsure that these were possible. A coin of any value must always have two sides. He thought of his own wish that he had spoken to his stepwise that one night. Such a simple word. Perhaps that was why the demon had not been able to fulfill it. There were so many ways to interpret a wish for happiness. Bedlam awoke and strutted off. The stepwises had fulfilled their purpose, finding things that had once been lost, friends, family, love, one way or another. As for Meyer's own happiness, he could rejoice in seeing his friends happy. His quarters seemed larger than they had been, with more room for him to stretch and move around in. With Stepwise gone, he was no longer sharing living space with a demon. Meyer smiled and thought one very last time of Thomas. He was no longer sharing living space with a ghost, either. He had missed a chance with Getty, but there would be other chances with other men. And even if there were no more chances to be had, all Meyer needed were his spells 
and his staff and his robes, ministerial or otherwise. With a spark of insight, he took up a pen and began to write. No doubt there must be a rational, alchemical solution to the problem of controlling runaway stepwises. Meyer looked around for his ebony staff and saw Bedlam trotting away with the staff clasped between his teeth. Bedlam! Meyer cried. Bring me back my staff! I have work to do! Ah, look at that. The storm is settling and you are free to go. Of course, you're always welcome to sit by the fire and stay a while. There are many more nights and many more stories. Tonight's story was told by Trevor Schechter. Find our credits, merch, and more stories at LavenderTavern.com. Interested in having your short story told at the Lavender Tavern? Submit a copy of your writing to us at www.faustianonsense.com forward slash Lavender Tavern submissions. The Lavender Tavern is written by Jonathan Cohen and produced by Faustian Nonsense.